company, you guys can take a seat. All right. Hey, who's excited to be here at Salt Company tonight? Come on. What a great night. Let's give it up for the worship team. They're doing a great job. So fun. Well, guys, what a joy it is to be with you tonight. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff here with this college ministry. So nice. You guys are very kind. Real quick shout out. Uh, hey, let's show some love for our UW River Falls students who are coming. Isn't that great? Wisconsin, who would have known? Not us, okay? So God is bringing people from Wisconsin, which is really, really exciting, and we cannot wait to see what he does. Go Falcons. Go Falcons. Love you guys. So fun. All right. Go Hawks. If you're new here to Salt Company, thanks so much for being here. We recognize that this can be a really intimidating space to step into, so I just want to say thank you so much. And tonight, we're going to be opening up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. That's about 80% of the way through your Bible. And you might be thinking to yourself, but Tone, I thought we were going through Minor Prophets. Yes, great question. It is not, in fact, a Minor Prophet, but my good friend Stephen Jones, who's going to preach Jonah tonight, called me today and was like, hey, snow's a little bad from where I'm from, so I can't come. And I was like, okay. So if you've had a long day, same, same, okay? So we're doing Ephesians 4 tonight, baby. We're going to let it rip. It's going to be great. Ephesians 4 is where you can open up to. We'll resume our Minor Prophet series next week. Very exciting. Okay. Let me pray as we jump into this uh, message tonight together. Well, there's moments like this where we actually get to have good theology that you move. You move in mighty ways. Um, just think about my day and the unfun parts of it and... Uh, the stressors of it and, and maybe some of the anxiety of it. And I just can't even imagine what everyone's coming into this room with. That there are people in this room that are carrying really heavy burdens and um, maybe even carrying it by themselves. And they showed up to here tonight because they don't know anywhere else to go. And so, Father, we pray that you would do something miraculous tonight. Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you had this planned a long time ago that tonight would not be Jonah, but it would be Ephesians 4. And we believe that in our weakness, your power is made perfect, and we're excited to jump into your word. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Have you guys ever driven down a highway and seen a car that is distrominated? Okay? Destroyed and then distrominated. One level over. Okay? For the sake of this illustration, for the warm and fuzzies. The people who are in the car are safe, they're warm, and they're eating canes together. All right, that's the, that's the PSA. Now imagine this car, right? Oh my gosh, it's pancaked. There is no hope for this car. It is absolutely destroyed. And then we're in the car together, all a couple hundred of us and me, <laughs> driving. And I'm like, you know what? You know what I think the problem with this car is? You know what I think could make this car drive? The problem is that it's just not aerodynamic enough. So why don't we slap a spoiler on that sucker? Do you know what I'm saying? Or I'm like, okay. Another great idea, maybe it's just not loud enough, so it needs a new exhaust, right? Here's what you would do. You would go, knock, knock, is anyone home? That's what you would do to me. You would knock, knock my forehead, and you'd be like, Tone, the problem with the car is not that it's not aerodynamic. The problem with the car is that it's folded around a pole. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's not going anywhere, no matter how much you make upgrades to it. Hard shift. Let's do this. That is the same with the human condition. Here's the reality with the human condition. That car is totaled, okay? It is broken beyond repair. That is the same for the human condition. 
And here's how our culture tries to solve the problem of our human condition. It tries to upgrade it, okay? So it's like, you know what? Just add a spoiler to it. Get some, you know, off-road tires. Very manly. It says if you're depressed, just think positive thoughts. Like, oh, you're really depressed? You're really struggling? You had a horrible week? You're walking in tonight and you're thinking to yourself, I don't even know if I can make it. Just think some positive thoughts. Upgrade. If you're anxious about your future, just work harder. If you're struggling with loneliness and meaninglessness, then just do more. The simple reality is we live in a culture that looks at the human condition and just says, be better. But here's my guess for all of us. It's bankrupt. You've tried your whole life to be better, but it's left your soul fractured. So the conversation I want to have with you guys tonight is not how to be better, but it's actually how to be new. It's to actually experience the new humanity grace that we find in Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, if you've got a Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we'll be. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. Very exciting. Two parts tonight. If we want to know how to live a new humanity, not just live a be better gospel, but a brand new gospel, then here's what we're going to need to learn how to do. We're going to have to throw away the old. Did I put that right? Okay. Is it on the screen? No? All right. That's a bummer. And step into the new. Look with me to Ephesians 4, chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Throw away the old. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you may, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. All right, verse 17 through 22, maybe one of the most brutal descriptions of the human condition in the entire Bible, okay? And your Bible, like your friend, tells you the bad news and then the good news, okay? Bad news, ah, good news, yay, okay? First, we've got to hit the bad news. Here's what the Bible says about the human condition, It says that without Christ, this is who you are. Verse 17, that you are someone plagued with futility. Here's what that means, that without Christ, your life will be useless or pointless. Sociologists claim that our generation has a really unique human phenomenon, okay? Where, here's the deal. This is a little bit philosophical, but I think you'll like it. Where our generation has more freedom than any human generation ever before. Seriously. And I know that varies depending on socioeconomic background and your race and all these different factors. I understand that. But your generation as college students has more freedom than any generation ever before. Here's my example. If you want food right now, guess what you can do? Click Grubhub. Very exciting. You know all the crap they had to do 200 years ago? Plant the seed, water it for three months, harvest the grain, make it into bread, and then like put some meat in between it? That's how they got a burger. That took like nine months of their life, okay? Freedom. If you want sexual gratification, what used to exist was sexual gratification came in a healthy, monogamous, marital relationship, but now you can go to Pornhub. If you want economic opportunity, guys, you guys know that people with Smith as their last name, I found that out recently, this was very exciting, came from a lineage of blacksmiths? I know, it makes so much sense. You're like, wow, guys, 
people at like seven years old became a blacksmith and then just back blacksmith for like 70 more years. There was no economic opportunity. You just were a blacksmith. These days, you can LinkedIn, very exciting. Here's what I'm saying. We live in a generation where the freedom quotient is higher than it's ever been and the meaning quotient is lower than it's ever been. Here's why we know this. It's because the epidemic of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation is showing us that even though people are completely free, they feel like their lives are completely meaningless. If you go to your college campus and you ask a random person off the street, what's the purpose of your life? What do you think they would tell you? Maybe they would say things like, oh, the purpose of my life is just to be happy. But what happens when all the things that they're looking for happiness in can't actually provide the happiness they're looking for? What if they say the purpose of my life is just to make some money, but then at 30 years old, they've made the money that they're looking for and it hasn't actually satisfied their soul? Listen, I don't know what you would put into the place of purpose in your life, but what I do know is that you live in a generation of people that are so free and yet life, feel like life is so meaningless, and isn't that the life of verse 17, a life of futility? I, uh, I grew up pretty poor, so that's just kind of my story. But I remember thinking to myself, this is literally what I thought. I was like, man, I can't wait to make money. Because one day I will make money, and then the money will give me the solutions to all my problems, okay? That's the, that's the logic flow. So I go to college, and I'm making money for the first time in my life, and even at one point making more money than my parents. And I was remember thinking to myself, you know what? I can do whatever I want with my life right now. I could buy a ticket and go to Maui. That was the first time in my life I could do that. That was a different sermon illustration. Some of you guys remember. Anyways. And yet, I felt like my life had no meaning. I'd achieved all my goals, my ambitions, the freedoms that I wanted, and yet, I felt like my life had no meaning. So here's what this text says about the human condition. If your life is not focused on following Jesus and serving him, you will feel deep in your soul a level of futility that you will not be able to escape from. Second thing we see, second thing we see, very exciting, is in verses 22 through, I think, 22. I think that's the verse. Yes, okay. And is, it is that your desires are deceitful. Okay, so this is a pretty interesting concept. What if it's true that the desires of your soul aren't actually leading to the life that you want? Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever noticed that your desires lie to you? Okay. Here's my example for that. I was thinking about this. I desire to eat a full cafe latte cheesecake every night. I would love that crap. Have you ever had it? Don't judge me, it's right down the street. You can get yourself a slice. They're like $7 a slice now, so don't, don't be mad at me. But they're so good, they have a little strawberry on it. It's fantastic. The, the texture is incredible. Okay, why do I not fall through on that desire? Two reasons, one is because if I were to fall through on that desire, I would have a dad bot before I became a dad, which would not be ideal. I don't want that crap, neither do you. Second reason is because I'd go bankrupt almost immediately. That sucker's like $32. Inflation has been a killer. Here's the thing, I desire cheesecake every night. Should I eat it? No, I shouldn't. Those desires are actually deceitful. Okay, maybe for you, your desires do not revolve around cheesecake. Maybe they do. But my guess is, for most of us in this room, the desires of your heart revive around some type of college lifestyle. Maybe the desire of your heart is actually to be known, to be loved by people, to have your friends that you hang with. 
So then your application of that desire is to go get wasted every weekend because the only time people want to hang out with you is when you have a beer in your hand. But that desire in and of itself will deceive you. It will lie to you and promise intimate relationship but will leave you lonelier than you've ever been. Maybe the desire in your heart is to be desired, okay? All of us want this. We all want to be wanted. You know what I'm saying? It's nice. It's a nice feeling. And maybe the application of that desire is to give your body away and sleep with whoever you want to. And initially, it feels good to feel wanted, but you realize that you actually feel lesser the day after. The simple reality that the Bible is con conditioning our hearts to examine is the reality that our desires are deceitful. But not only are they deceitful, but they're also destructive. They're also destructive. There's a quote I have for Tim Keller that I think will be helpful for us. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Here's a simple reality. Your desires are a brutal master that will deceive you and will destroy your life. Which again, I want to level with you. This is incredibly unpopular thinking. We live in an age of expressive individualism where the idea is whatever desires you have should be the ultimate reference point of truth in your life. Whatever you want to do should be the purpose of your life. You want it, you do it. You feel it, that's true. But here's what the Bible says. Your desires are not there to help you. Your desires are trying to deceive you trying to convince you that you can find your life apart from Christ, trying to convince you that if you just chase those desires, they would finally make you whole. Okay. Some of you guys are hearing me talk about this, and you're like, I actually feel that. And you're thinking to yourself, listen, there are so many desires of my heart that I don't want to have. Desires of envy and covetousness, desires of lust and anger, desires in my heart that I do not want to have. And you're thinking to yourself, Tone, I am completely enslaved. I am so enslaved to these desires. I have no idea if there's even a life apart from that. You've never even tasted the freedom of what it could look like to not be enslaved to your desires. So the question tonight is, how do we actually break free? How do we not just seek after some minimal behavior modification, but actually break free into the life that Jesus wants us to have. To do that, we must look at verse 23 as we look at the new life he promises to step into the new. And here's what he says. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, here's a problem. This is kind of a pipe, you know, little talking point. Here's a problem with our current American Christianity system, okay? We have a ton of people who say they're Christians. Anomaly, this is a nominal Christian. I say I'm a Christian. Christers, you guys know. Good times. We have a ton of people in the American church that say they're Christians with their mouths, but they're actually living addicted to their desires. Here's why that's a problem. Because if you try to live your old life, boom, verses 17 to 22, and try to live your new life, verses 23 to 24, what you'll end up doing is becoming incredibly apathetic. You won't actually have that renewed vision of the fullness of joy that Jesus wants to offer you. 
and you won't even have the fleeting pleasures of sin, okay? So you'll be like just annoyed about Christianity all the time. The simple reality is one of the greatest problems of the American church today is that we are living in an apathetic culture. Here's what John Tyson says that I think is very helpful. God's heart is that we might shift from dabbling in church to devoting ourselves to his kingdom in such a way that the world is jarred out of its idolatry by the intensity of our communal passion. Listen, it's all company. This is a real fear. Like, this is actually what I go to bed thinking about at night. That you would spend the next three years of your life sitting in these seats. And you would just dabble with Jesus. Yeah, I'll just tiptoe around God. I'll come when it fits my schedule. I'll do Jesus things when I feel like it. I'll come get my spiritual hit. And then you would live the rest of your life thinking that's what it means to be a Christian. That the apathy within your soul would actually make you far further from God than people who are on your college campuses who don't know Jesus. I'm afraid that you'll end up thinking that living one life foot in and the other foot out is what genuine Christianity is. And you will never taste the beauty of what it means to truly follow Jesus. I think some of the reason why some of you guys are on the fringe of following Jesus is ultimately because you've been convinced that the essence of following Jesus is behavior modification. It's just about being a little bit better than you were yesterday. Honestly, modern day Christianity is kind of hilarious because it's like one step up from self-help. Do you know what I mean? It's like self-help, be better tomorrow. Jesus wants you to be better tomorrow. It's like, oh my gosh, that is strikingly similar. Bummer. But honestly, my fear is that some of you have been taught your entire life what it means to be a Christian is just to get a little bit better every day. To actually measure the way that God loves you based on your performance. And so here's my fear for you. If you actually believe that, what it's going to create is an insecure faith. A following of Jesus that has no resemblance of the security of Christ that he provides you. There is a real fear that I have for a lot of us in this room that you think that Christianity is just about being a little bit better when in actuality, Christianity is all about being made new. Here's what we need if we want to have the true Christianity is a brand new humanity. Look with me to verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Okay, here's the vision we have for you at Salt Company, and here's the vision Bible, the Bible has for you. It's not for your mind to be a little bit better. It's not for your mind to actually be, oh, you know, get a little bit of an upgrade, you know what I mean? Put an exhaust on that sucker. That's not what our vision is. It's for your mind to be completely renewed by the Spirit of God in a way that you frankly cannot even imagine. Like, can you imagine if your desires weren't your desires anymore? Like, think about that. If you actually didn't desire what your previous life wanted, but God so deeply renewed your mind that you actually began to desire the things of God, not the things of this world, would that not be an amazing, beautiful reality? Verse 24, here's what it says. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Guys, here's the vision God wants to give you. Not a slightly better self, not a cooler self, although that would be nice but a new self, 
Not a slightly upgraded version of you, but a radically new version of you. And I love what this text says. Not created after the likeness of who you want to be, but actually created after the likeness of God. You were created to live in a new reality. If you are following Jesus and you would say you are a Christian and you have never tasted the beauty of having your mind and your heart transformed by the gospel, then you may not be a Christian. And I recognize that's difficult to hear because many of us believe that Christianity is a badge that we put on ourselves to proclaim to the outer world, this is our ideology and worldview. But the sign of Christianity, the sign of true, depthful discipleship to Jesus is not what you say with your mouth, but if your mind and heart has been transformed and renewed. If you see a shifting from the desires of this world to the desires of Jesus. I know that's hard, but I would way rather tell you that tonight than you get to be 80 years old and you think that following Jesus was about behavior modification. That it was just about trying to be better, trying to earn God's favor through your works. No, following Jesus is not about being a little bit better. It's about being made new by the spirit of God. It's so much better than you could ever imagine. Okay, as I call the worship band back up, here's a question I want us to ask. What happens when you step into a new identity? This is the good news, okay? Everything changes. Like honestly, guys, this is the experience of a Christian. When you meet Jesus, it's like you can finally see for the first time in your entire life. And the way you view everything changes. The way you view God changes. The way you view yourself changes. The way you view your identity changes. The way your desires are viewed are changed. Everything changes. It's this incredible, beautiful reality. And here's why it's so important to know who you are in Christ. That you are giving a new identity. Because if you don't know who you are, you could be incredibly rich but be incredibly poor. You could spend the rest of your life trying to grasp for identity in school and athletics and money and a cute girl or a cute guy, and you'll spend the rest of your life grasping for identity only to live the rest of your life completely void of actually knowing who you are. You might actually live the rest of your life not knowing what the purpose of your life was about. And is that not one of the most terrifying realities? That in 80 years, you might not know who you are yet. That if you grasp for your identity in other places, you will definitely head in that direction. Here's why it's so important to know who you are. If you do not know who you are, here's the reality. Verse 17, you will spend the rest of your lives living and dying for things that don't matter and living for futile things. If you don't know who you are, you will spend the rest of your life living for desires that are deceptive and destructive. And if you don't know who you are, you will live with one foot in and one foot out, completely washed away by apathy. So here's my invitation for you, okay? Whether you've known Jesus for 10 years, 10 days, or for some of you, like 10 minutes, like you might be meeting him right now, which would be incredible. My invitation for you is to actually see that the old way of life, it's bankrupt. One foot in, one foot out, not gonna do it for you. My invitation for you is to see that Jesus doesn't want to make you a little bit better. He wants to make you new. Okay, here's how I want to close. Have you guys ever wondered why Jesus had to die? I know, weird question, okay? 
Why did Jesus have to die? That is a problem that is genuinely so odd to think about. Because here's the thing. Most human, human beings don't actually believe they're that broken. We kind of believe we're like the car that got a, you know, bumper to bumper accident and we just need a new bumper. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I just hit a little pole, get me a new bumper and I'll drive myself to heaven. We're totaled. We are broken beyond repair. It is very easy to make a good thing better. It is very hard to make a broken thing new. And so here's what Jesus did when he died for you. He said, listen, I'm not trying to make you a little bit better. I'm trying to make you new. And so because you were broken, he was broken on your behalf so that you could be made new like him in heaven one day. That's the good news of the gospel. And so that's what we believe. We believe that Jesus did not come to make us marginally better. We believe that Jesus came to make us brand new. So here's my invitation for you. Some of you guys are like, this is, this is different, okay? This is not what I heard. I heard that I just had to work my way up to God. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus worked his way down to you, and now your identity is rooted in him. Not in how good you are, not if you get better tomorrow. Like, you might get worse tomorrow, which that would be awkward, okay? Let's admit it. But your identity is rooted completely in Jesus. See, the good news of receiving a new self is that you were totaled. You were broken beyond repair. And yet Jesus Christ saved you, which means you can actually still be broken. And his love for you never changes. Okay. Instead of praying, we're going to enter into a time of reflection because we love that here. In a moment, I'm going to have you reflect. There's some of you in this room where your, desi your desires are destroying your life. Like, you know it. Your porn addiction is destroying you. Your need of approval from others is destroying you. Your lack of identity is destroying you. And so ask the Spirit. Just be like, Spirit, listen. I need you to do for me what I can't. I need you to take my destructive desires and say, I want to be made new. For some of you in this room, you've grown up with one foot in, one foot out. Like, that's the only type of Christianity you know. It's one foot in, one foot out. And here's the prayer that I think you should pray to the Spirit. Would you shake me and wake me from my apathy? Would you make Jesus real to me again? Would I believe? And some of you in this room, none of this makes sense to you, okay? You're like, wow, this is a lot. And that's because in verse 17, you resonate with that. You feel like your life has absolutely no meaning. You've kind of done this stuff, okay? You've done everything you've wanted, and you feel like your life has absolutely no meaning, here's my invitation for you. Would you pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you. I want my life to matter. I want to know that my meaning does not come from my performance, but comes from you. All of us tonight, whether you've been following Jesus for 10 years, 10 days, or 10 minutes, need to see that the old self is bankrupt and we need something new. Let's spend the next couple minutes reflecting.